Hello, and thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Sermons Podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This week's sermon from February 20th is Witness. The sermon scripture is Philippians 1, 27 through 30, and the supplemental reading is 1 John 1, 1 through 7. Our worship services take place every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in our building at 819 John Adams Street in Oregon City, Oregon. To learn more about us or to support our ministry financially, visit us at onebaptistchurch.org. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you listen to our sermon for this week. There are some scriptures that when we approach them, we have to do some digging. It's not unlike in the early 90s when uh, McDonald's still had the ball pit before we realized how unhygienic that was. And you lost your Happy Meal toy at the bottom of the ball pit. And so you had to go down to the bottom of the ball pit. You had to dig through all of the, all of the, the, the plastic balls in the ball pit, get all the way down, and retrieve your prized whatever it was, your prized, your, your favorite gimmick from the last most recent movie that had come out. And so before we can really get to uh, the spiritual discipline, we've been going through spiritual disciplines re- recently, spiritual practices, as I like to call them. Uh, we've been going through these because a lot of times we... We offer the what, the why, but the how eludes us. And so the how of growing in in faith in Jesus is spiritual practices. And before we can get to our spiritual practice today, we have to dig through a couple of things. In this very small passage in Philippians chapter 1, and the first thing that we have to confront is something that we have to confront here. We have to confront in the book of Matthew, uh, especially in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it's, it's something that we have to confront several other places uh, in Scripture. And it's this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And we're told, Paul says, above all else, live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And... Uh, that translation has, has led to so much rubbish theology. And here's why. It has led to the idea that there's a place called heaven, that the purpose of our life here is to believe in Jesus so that when we die, we can go to this place called heaven and be happy with Jesus forever and never have to worry about anything else. And so we are supposed to live... We, we are citizens of this kingdom of heaven out here somewhere, but we just happen to be living here right now. And there's a, a moderately popular Christian band who, who had a song that said something like, this earth is not my home, just give me Jesus. Well, they're right and they're wrong. The kingdom of heaven is better translated as the kingdom of God. And it is the idea of God's rule directly over 
God's people. And we know this happens through Jesus Christ, through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, that Jesus rules and reigns over everything right now. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me, Jesus says. And so when we think of it as the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, this is happening now through Jesus. And so to say this earth is not my home is correct in as much as we mean the present order of earth, which is organized by power enforced by violence. And you can pick any kind of power, really, economic, political, military. It's all power enforced by violence. This is the way the world works. And so when we talk about the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven, living as citizens, we realize that the kingdom is now, and we realize that the kingdom will come to its fulfillment in the future, not when we are transported somewhere else, but when heaven comes to us. There is that line in, in What a Beautiful Name. You brought heaven down. The whole purpose of Scripture is summarized in Revelation chapter 21 when, when John, having his vision on Patmos, sees a new heaven and a new earth descending. Heaven comes into our, into our world, and everything is transformed with, Paul says, the same resurrection power with which God called Jesus from the grave. This world is not destroyed, but it is transformed in a way that we don't fully understand, but it will be transformed into, into something beautiful, into the place where God will reign over God's people. And when Paul says, live above all else as citizens of heaven, no matter what the earthly powers tell us, no matter what capitalism or socialism or the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or whoever happens to be sitting behind that desk uh, in the Oval Office, no matter what anybody says, no matter what television or movies or uh, the, the stupid memes that I look at on the internet, no matter what any of that says, this world in its, its beauty, in its goodness, but also in its corruption and decay, power enforced by violence, is not the way of the kingdom. Otherwise, the crucifixion would have gone real differently. We live as citizens of this age to come, not citizens of the present age. We don't give in to the violence of this world. We don't give in to the ways of this world. We don't give in to the coercive powers of this world. So when Paul says, live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, he's not saying, forget about the problems of earth and just focus on getting dead. He's saying, there's a new age coming. Live that way now. That's the first patch of weeds we have to kind of trudge through. The second is this question of the enemies. He says, uh, don't be intimidated. This is verse 28. Uh, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And it was the, the year was 2006, 
And I was finishing up my senior year at Marshall University, and I was in, we had a campus chapel that had like a hangout area and a kitchen and some things that students could use in between classes. And we'd, a lot of us who were involved in the different, and different Christian groups would meet in the, the campus chapel. And, and I was in the kitchen heating up something unhealthy. And the, the leader of another one of the groups that met in the campus chapel came up to me. And he said, John, I'd like to ask you if you're willing to wage war on the enemies of God. <laughs> well, that's quite an offer for a Tuesday morning. Uh, I said, all right, all right, just uh, before, I, before I give you an answer, just, just could you tell me which enemies of God we're declaring war on? And the magnificent answer that I could not have expected in a thousand years was the Methodists and the Presbyterians. <laughs> Come on, bud. And I, I looked at him and I, I said something bordering on unkind and walked away. It was okay because that, the, these are not the enemies of God. The, the Presbyterians and the Methodists, if any, if any of you happen to be watching right now, the Presbyterians and the Methodists are not the enemies of God. They are called by the name of Jesus Christ. They worship differently than we do. They organize their churches differently than we do. And that's okay. It's fine. Who are the enemies of God? They're those people who practice coercive power. Power to force other people to do things or else. They're people who live out of selfish ambition and vain conceit to borrow another biblical phrase. There are people, there are people who would burn down a whole forest just because they got bit by a raccoon. There are people who want to dismantle a centuries-old bridge in Amsterdam just so their $500 million yacht can get through to the other side of the river. These are people who are interested in colonizing other planets at the expense of the one that we live on now. These are people who line their pockets with money every minute of every day while they're barely paying the people who are, who are helping them make that money a living wage. These are the enemies of God because these are the people who are demeaning the image of God in humanity. These are the people who are destroying creation. These are the people who are so obsessed with making a buck off of oil that they don't care what natural beauty or what goodness in creation they destroy to get it. These are people who don't live with the idea of earth being healed and renewed and restored and made new in Jesus Christ in mind. These are the enemies of God. But there's two others that I wanted to point out this morning before we go on. One of them is cynicism, and the other is skepticism. Now, there's such a thing as being skeptical in a healthy way. There's such a thing as asking questions when something seems too good to be true 
like all of the emails that I get that go directly into my spam folder and offer me large sums of money if only I'll just you know, make sure that I send my banking information to the right people so that they can, can deposit it in my account. Uh, don't, no one's offering that. That's, that's not the way the world works. But there is a cynicism and a skepticism right now that does not allow anything to have value. There's a cynicism and a skepticism that looks to rip apart anything out of sheer unhappiness. There's a cynicism and a skepticism that says, none of this can be true because it doesn't fit with the way that we, the, the way that we have defined the world. And there are a lot of narratives in the world today that rely on cynicism and skepticism to enforce their power. And we have to resist those as followers of Jesus. And when we get discouraged by them, we're not to worry, Paul says, because they will meet their destruction. And what's their destruction? But whenever you are so interested in destroying the image of God and destroying the creation of God and destroying what God has, has made and called blessed, you destroy a part of yourself as well. There's a character in the, the Harry Potter series named Voldemort who finds this deep, dark magic. And Voldemort finds out that he can live forever if he if he can just break his soul into pieces through murder and put them into these different objects. But it breaks him into pieces. And that's what destroying the image of God does to us. You don't have to understand Harry Potter to understand that. When we, any of us, destroy what God has blessed and called good, we destroy ourselves as well. When we demean and diminish the image of God in somebody else, we're doing it in ourselves. And this is the danger of so much right now. There's a lot of this happening. And so what is my answer to it? How can anybody answer to it? And apparently we're getting real nerdy this morning. Because at the end of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, the second movie that came out, the king of, of the horse people says to, you know, the kind of the Jesus figure, Aragon, in the movie, he says, what can we do against so much hate? And Aragon replies, ride out and meet it. And I'd like to consider this morning witness as a Christian practice, as a spiritual practice. Usually when I say witness, uh, people kind of seize up <laughs> because uh, we think witnessing, we think uh, that person who is standing on a street corner uh, shouting Jesus language at people, or we think about somebody who walks up to people and says, sir, can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and the person 
just kind of keeps on walking. And when I say witness, I don't mean that, that idea of, of explicitly sharing our faith with somebody on its own. It's not exclusive to that. But consider that the word witness and the idea of witness means to give a report on what you've seen or heard. That's what giving a witness means. And so when we're encountering a world where power is enforced with violence, where the lordship of Christ is not recognized, where cynicism and skeptical reigns, how do we meet it? How else do we meet it except by giving a report of what we've seen and heard in our own lives through Jesus? Now, this happens in a variety of different ways because it doesn't mean that we're supposed to just call up all of our unsaved, unsaved friends and say, I'm going to tell you about Jesus tonight. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to go out to the bus stop and try to start conversations with everybody until somebody's willing to listen to us. Being a witness means understanding first for ourselves what God has done for us. It's a recognition that my life is different, that my life is changing, my life is growing, and has been rescued from these destructive ways and is being rescued, and one day ultimately will be rescued, whether by death or the return of Christ, from participate, we will be rescued from participating in these destructive ways of the world. And so we do this work with God. We do it through, through other spiritual practices. We do it through prayer. We do it through the examine, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We do it through solitude, which we talked about last week. We do it by reflecting on what has God done for us. Because once we know that and we can name it, we can then carry it out into the world. Paul says, Paul says, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and in one purpose. And so when we consider what our witness is, it takes us into the world to live this out in front of the world. Our Christian witness is our Christian life lived before the world. And sometimes we get that right, and sometimes we get that wrong. But what we have to remember is, it is it's growing and changing. It keeps it keeps developing as we keep walking with Jesus. But if we are putting ourselves in places where we're in relationship with other people, then our witness will come through. Adele Albert Calhoun wrote a magnificent book, I talked about it last week, called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. 
it is wonderful, and she offers this as a, a definition of witness. Sharing the good, good news of Jesus at an appropriate time and in an appropriate way. Now consider that for a second. Sharing the good, of, good news of Jesus, we know what the good news of Jesus is. And if we, we don't, an easy definition is that through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, God is healing and reconciling the world through the authority of Jesus. This is the good news. And you can boil it down even more simply in that the good news is that Jesus loves you not because of anything you've done or haven't done, but because of who God is. And we take this good news first and we share it at appropriate times. And I think we all, we all have a sense of what appropriate times to share things is. Sometimes when you're, uh, if you've been to the movie theater since the pandemic or, or if you went to the movie theater before the pandemic, I've been to the movie theater once since March of 2020, and I can tell you that people do still talk through movies. <laughs> this is an inappropriate time to have a conversation. And it's an even more inappropriate that like, if the hero sacrifices uh, themselves for a bunch of other people, it is not sharing the good news to shout, that's like Jesus! and point at the movie screen. No one wants this. They want to watch the movie. Instead, here's an example of an appropriate time. Go with a friend that you know who is not living their life under the lordship of Christ and ask them what they thought about the movie. There's an appropriate time and in an appropriate, and in an appropriate way. But in an appropriate time, we know we, we will be setting ourselves up for these opportunities if we continue to live out our Christian witness. And our Christian witness involves us loving other people, caring for other people, forgiving other people, asking forgiveness of other people. Our Christian witness involves celebrating and mourning and dancing and grieving. Don't dance too much. Just tip from me, um, I, don't, I don't know a lot of people, I'm not good at this, but if you have no personal shame, dance your heart out. I have, I have shame about my dancing abilities. Thank you for that. My beloved wife goes, as he should. I love you too. Oh dear. But living out our Christian witness in front of the world means living authentic lives that come from a deep place of allowing Jesus to change us and allowing Jesus to rescue us and allowing Jesus to define who we are rather than our fears and our shame of dancing and our other shames and our guilt. Because God loves us so much. And in an appropriate way, We all have gifts and abilities. 
if your gift is hospitality, if you love having people over to your house, if you love making food for people, your Christian witness may involve having people to your house and making food for them so that they will know that God loves them and that you may be able to have a conversation with them about what makes them feel loved. Because that's the other thing, too. We don't have to beat people over the head with the gospel. How did Jesus proclaim the gospel? He walked from town to town. He healed people. He forgave people. He called out the the powers of the world that were destructive towards people. But the only time Jesus really kind of explicitly makes a statement of the gospel is to a Jewish religious leader who wanted to meet with Jesus in secret. And that was when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Pre-resurrection. Post-resurrection, Jesus goes around saying things like, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. Goes around saying things like, go therefore and make disciples of the whole world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that Jesus says in the book of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Our job then, as followers of Jesus, is to go be witnesses. Share what you have seen and heard of God's work in your life. Share it at appropriate times and appropriate ways in creative times and creative ways and simply go out and love people with the love of Jesus as a witness to how God has loved you.